0: Thank you very much, Mandy, for that warm welcome. How are you doing today? Good. it's a beautiful day outside today, and I'm glad to be here with you. Special welcome to anybody who's visiting with us for the very first time or anybody who's listening to us through our website. Like Mandy said, my uh, name is Gino Allison. I'm one of the pastors here, and I want to welcome you all to the South Suburban Vineyard Church this morning. And like Mandy said, I have the privilege of not just continuing but concluding a sermon series that we've been in for the last probably four weeks a sermon series that we've simply been calling Rhythms. And we've defined rhythm as a strong, regular, repeated pattern of movement or sound. And we're not talking about music, right? We're not talking about uh, music that we sort of move to. We're talking about the rhythm of our life. And basically what we've been saying over the last few weeks is that many of us find that life just doesn't quite work like we feel it should. There's not that motion and movement and fluidity to our life. And it's usually the case that um, that's so, because we don't have the major parts of our lives moving to, dancing to, rallying around a common rhythm. We've said that even the hardest of tasks are become easier when there's rhythm to it, right? And the same thing is true for our life. Life gets easier. I didn't say easy, but it gets easier. There's functionality to it. There's an ease to it when we have some rhythm to our life, particularly our life with Jesus. We've been saying that the essence of a life with Jesus is that we invite Jesus into our life. We allow him to move out all the things that he wants to move out and then move in all the stuff that he wants to move in. He'll move in the good stuff, the right stuff, and he'll be the conductor of those things and have all of those moving parts, all those complicated and layered things dance and rally around the same rhythm, and from that comes the functionality. The ease and the blessings of what we call the good life that's promised to us in Scripture. We've been reading uh, as a springboard for this series a passage of Scripture in Matthew 11, verse 28, where Jesus asks, Are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burnt out on religion? Many of us would say, Yes, there's a solution. Jesus says, Come to me, get away with me, and you recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me, work with me, watch how I do it. And then, as Jesus says, Come and learn the unforced. Rhythm of grace. So the unforced rhythm to life. And as I said earlier, the Christian life is not an easy life, but Jesus is basically saying to us, as I've been saying week after week, that maybe life doesn't have to be as hard as we make it. And he promises us an easier, more excellent way. We've talked so far about engaging a rhythm of Christian community, doing things like this, coming to church, doing things like going to small group, engaging in many groups, community life. We talked about engaging a rhythm of generosity and giving and doing thoughtful, um, thoughtful things for other people, engaging a rhythm of generosity. We've talked about engaging a rhythm of seeking God through the word and, and prayer, a life of devotion. And last week, we talked about engaging a life of servanthood, where in your family life and in your work life. And in your local church life and in the community around you, you are making an impact, you're making your presence felt because you get low and you serve those that do life with you in the world around you. And all of these are basically spiritual disciplines. And spiritual disciplines are simply practices that we lean into, things that we engage in order to live the good life that God promises us in Scripture. These are spiritual disciplines, spiritual practices And we conclude this series by talking about everybody's favorite topic. And you've already seen the bulletin by now. You know that this is a PG-13 Sunday. We're talking about sex this morning. Now, if you've come expecting some tips and some pointers, that's going to be at the evening service tonight. This isn't that. There's no evening service, by the way. Don't show up tonight. Some of you are like, you promised me. No, but we're going to get into it today. We're going to talk about sex and talk about sex because sex and sexuality is one of the major moving parts of our life that if we can't get that aspect of our life to move according to the conductor's baton, it doesn't matter how much you engage Christian community. You can give yourself blind, right? You can pray and read the word until your eyes hurt. And you can serve everybody around you until you bleed. But if this area of your life, sex, sexuality, isn't moving to the rhythm of the conductor Jesus, you're going to have some big, big problems. And so this morning, I want to have the freedom to go for it this morning. And so that's, because, that's why I'm saying that this, today is, this sermon is rated PG-13. We want to respect your um, ability and willingness to, you know, discuss these uh, this topic with your children at the pace that you decide. And so, we just sort of want to warn you, um, if you're here today and there's small kids in here and you want to check them into the very capable hands of our children's ministry, you can do that. I'm also warning those of you who might be listening to this in the presence of your children. I promise not to be unduly controversial or just be, you know, crude in my descriptions today. But I do want to have the freedom to go for it. And so this message is um, rated PG-13. And so we're talking about sex and sexual purity, and, and that involves a, a, a word that we don't use very often, a word called uh, chastity. Chastity. And chastity is defined as the state or practice of refraining from extramarital or from all sex. i read that again. Chastity is the state Or practice of refraining from extramarital, or you know, anything outside of your marriage, or from all sex, depending on your stage of life. And so, in the life of a Christian, as we talk about sex, sexual purity, and and chastity, we're talking about having God help us to shape our own sexual ethic. We're talking about um, leaning into Jesus so that He can help us shape our own sexual ethic and ethics just deals with morals and principles the basically the rightness or the wrongness of something and maybe you haven't been told this but we will all in some way for better or worse shape our own sexual ethic either the culture will do it either Jesus will do it either your parents will do it something will do it we're, we're all it's going to get shaped somehow and so the goal for the Christian is to develop a Christ-centered sexual ethic. I say that again. The goal for the Christian, particularly as we try to help this aspect of our life gain some rhythm or dance to the rhythm of the conductor Jesus, we want to develop a Christ-centered sexual ethic. And what we discover when we pursue a Christ-centered sexual ethic is that we see that sex is very powerful. It's very important. It's awesome. It's amazing. It's powerful. But God builds a very, very high fence around sex. He builds a very high fence around sex, and that high fence is marriage. So your sex is powerful in the same way that a power plant is powerful can't have these lights, can't plug in your coffee maker, can't charge your phone, can't watch TV without the power plant. That power is awesome, but you just don't want anybody just wandering into that power plant because it'll kill them. It'll disrupt some things. It might cause our power to go out in here if somebody just willy-nilly just goes in and out of there as they please. And so a power plant, they build a high fence around that joker. They put some barbed wire over the top of it. Why? So you can't get access to it if you're not supposed to have access to it because it'll do harm. In the same way, God builds a high fence around sex because it's powerful. It's powerful. And if you get a hold of it before you're supposed to get a hold of it or you get a hold of it uh, in the wrong means, in the wrong way, at the wrong time with the wrong person, it it could destroy your life. And in extreme cases, it can kill you high fence around sex and that fence is marriage so as we look at what it means to pursue a christ centered sexual ethic we're talking at this last installment of our rhythm series on engaging a life of sexual purity you need just need a title for this message engaging a life of sexual purity and to engage a life of sexual purity this is what we're going to do we're going to actively, not passively, let God and not this culture shape our sexual ethic right now and not later. I say that again. We, are, we will actively, not passively, let God, not this culture, shape our sexual ethic right now and not later. Right now and not later. And for many of you, this is the first time you've ever heard, in a church at least what God's heart is on the subject of sex. For some of you, this will be the first time or the first time in a long time that you've heard God speak to you around this taboo topic, and I'm glad that you're here today. We're going to look at God's Word and we're going to unpack this. Turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. If you don't have your Bibles with you, feel free to follow along on your phones or on your tablets. We'll also be projecting the Scriptures on the screens. Matthew chapter 5. I'm talking about engaging a life of sexual purity, pursuing a Christ-centered sexual ethic. Matthew chapter 5, verse 27. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for today. Thank you for the great privilege I have to stand before your people and to preach your word. Thank you, Lord, for the great clarity and freedom that you'll release in here today. And Lord, we know that whenever we, uh, we always need your presence, but we especially need you on a Sunday where we engage a difficult topic, um, a topic that can be confusing, or a topic that, that can be coupled with shame and, you know, painful memories from my past. And so, Lord, we just ask that you would go before us today and make the crooked places straight. Holy Spirit, would you feel this place? Put power on these words that you've given me to speak. I'll move the preacher out of the way this morning so that your truth, And your light may shine through. And Lord, please, please, please help the bears beat the lions this afternoon. (laughs) Is there anything too hard for you? In Jesus' name, amen. (laughs) So before I begin this talk today, I wanted to go over some basic assumptions. Whenever I talk about sex, I just want to get out of the way some basic assumptions. Things that I come to the table with as it relates to God, sex, and his people. The first basic assumption is that God has the final say. God has the final say. In the life of a Christian, we can read books, and we can talk to this one, and we can talk to that person, but God, in his word, has the final authority on sex and sexuality without exception. And so maybe that's not the way you lean, but I'm just letting you know that that's how I lean. That's how I've prepared this in light of the fact that God is the authority on this. The second basic assumption is that I come to the table understanding that sex is a good thing. It's a good thing. And some of you are like, ah, I know, right? It's not just good in that way. It's a good, God-ordained, God-created thing. And that's important to note because Christians can get really wacky about sex. Either you say sex and they giggle like, you know, a a seven-year-old. Or you say sex and they turn beat red because there's so much shame and this subject is so taboo. And what I want to say is that it, it, Christians should understand that sex is a good thing. You should be presenting this in an age-appropriate way to your children as a good thing. It's not shameful if you do it right. It shouldn't be taboo if you're discussing it right. Sex is from God. It's a good thing. Third basic assumption is that there is a right and a wrong way to manage your sexuality. We live in a relative society, a relativistic society that says, hey, you do you, I'll do me, don't put any pressure on me, don't try to change me. Listen, everybody just sort of live and let live. When it comes to this and many other important things, there's a right way to do it, and there's a very wrong way to do it. Fourth basic assumption, and this is the best news yet, there is forgiveness and freedom from all sexual brokenness. I realize in a crowd this size, there's somebody here who's got some really touchy spots as it relates to sex and sexuality. Maybe there's something in your past, maybe some abuse that caused you to lean into a negative sexual direction, or maybe, you you know, you've made a lot of mistakes or you've got a high body count when it comes to your past and your partners, and you, you approach the discussion like this with a lot of shame because, after all, you're in church... You've heard that maybe that wasn't such a good thing. Maybe you've been judged before. Maybe you've been cast aside before. And maybe you hadn't heard the good news that Jesus died for, yes, sexual sin and brokenness too. And if you're here today and you've got the scars, if you're here today and you've got a history, and if you're here today and you've got a high body count, don't hold your head down because Jesus brings freedom for you. And so that's important to say as a basic assumption because this talk is redemptive. And and if you feel conviction today, that's good. If you feel condemned, that's not from the Lord. you feel uh, conviction, there's freedom, there's hope, there's an answer, there's a way forward because there's freedom from all sexual brokenness and sin. We preach good news at this church. But we're going to get into it today and we're going to discuss some things. Because you have to know this, God sets a high bar in general, but God especially sets a high bar when it comes to sex. God sets a high bar when it comes to sex, especially compared to our culture's very low bar. Uh, The bar that's set by the culture is relative to the culture's laws. And so in America, and many other places in the developed world, The bar for sex and sexuality is consent. And I'm thankful that that bar is there. I'm thankful that it's widely agreed upon that consent is important. And talk to your kids about consent because consent is very important in the realm of sex and sexuality. But consent is, hey, as long as the other person is, you know, awake and they agree to move forward with you sexually, then we're all good. As long as there's consent, then whatever you do with regard to having consent is cool. And that's a really low bar. That's a really low bar. And so when we take what God says about sex and sexuality, we take what the culture says about sex and sexuality, particularly the bar that is set, there's a huge gap between the two because God commands his people to avoid all sexual Immorality. God commands his people to avoid all sexual immorality. And you may come today with a question, say, Pastor, I know this might be a stupid question. I know everybody else in the room might be clear on this, but what exactly, what exactly is sexual immorality? Well, I'm glad you asked. Let's read the passage of scripture that you've already turned to, Matthew chapter 5. We're going to start at verse 27. And for those of you who've come in late, um, Uh, This message is rated PG-13. We're talking about sex and sexuality today, and we just want to be aware of the fact that there may be children in here. So if you want to check your children into Children's Church, you can feel free to do that. What is sexual immorality? Let's read what Jesus has to say in Matthew 5, verse 27. You have heard the commandment that says, you must not commit adultery. But I say, anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So if your eye, even your good eye, causes you to lust, gouge it out and throw it away. Man, that is harsh. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your hand, even your stronger hand, causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away, it is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Jesus doesn't really dance around this, does he? Doesn't really mince words when he's talking about something as important, as significant as sex and sexuality. And I have kind of a love-hate relationship with this passage. I love it as a preacher because I love truth. I love it as a preacher because it's clear and it says what needs to be said without any fluff or without anything that might cause undue confusion. But I have a kind of a hate relationship with this as a a man who kind of enjoys a little bit of wiggle room when it comes to the tough principles of life, especially this stuff. Kind of have a hate relationship with it because every time I read it, it convicts me in some meaningful way. Because Jesus gets after it. He speaks to it. And I want to unpack what Jesus says to us in these few short verses in light of what it means to pursue a Christ-centered sexual ethic, in light of what it means to engage as part of a rhythm of life, sexual purity, a life free of sexual immorality. Jesus highlights three things. The first thing is that Jesus deals with the obvious. Jesus deals with the obvious. There's something that Jesus mentions in that first sort of sentence there that highlights the things that we're generally supposed to already know, the thing that's on the surface, the really low-hanging fruit. We can't skip past that because some people haven't heard that. Some people haven't heard it. And so what Jesus says in verse 27 is that you have heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery. Now Jesus says, listen, let's just get something out of the way. Let's establish the basics. Let's pursue the obvious. Let's sort of get this thing out of the way. He's not about to repeal it, He's not about to say something different or to walk back that truth. He's affirming it in a meaningful way. He said, you've already heard not to commit adultery. And for those of us who need to just go back to the basics, adultery is simply sex between a married person and someone who is not that person's spouse. It's adultery. And then there's adultery's cousin, fornication, which is sexual intercourse between two individuals that are not married. And so Jesus says, let's just, let's just set this thing straight right now. You've already heard it said. He's talking to the audience. He said, you already heard it said that you shall not commit adultery, Now I'll add fornication. And so basically what this means is if you are not married, if you are not married, God says no sex for you. I thought it might be quiet today. <laughs> Jesus says, if you are not married... That means no sex for you. Again, high fence. This stuff will kill you if you get a hold of it before you're supposed to. You've already heard that said. And to the married person, Jesus says, you can have sex, but you get one well. You get one well to draw from. And so brothers, let me give you a little tip if you want a little help today. If, if you're thirsty and, you know, wife's not quite in the mood, say, I say sometimes, baby, how many wells do I get? I get one well, right? And so I say, can I have a drink today, right? Because sometimes we have to remind each other that this is all we got. I'm not, I'm not, Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. I say, honey, I get one well, right? And I usually, you know, set some things in motion, but as a married person, you get one well. You get one well. Jesus says, no sex outside of the fence of marriage. That's the obvious. And some of you need to hear that today, because you've gotten a hold of a version of this, some of you, that's real murky and unclear. You've gotten a version of this from somebody, probably some hip New Age preacher that wanted to drop the bar. When he, You, know, you did not set the bar, you don't get to drop it. This is the bar. And Jesus, for our clarity's sake, he attacks the obvious. He deals with the obvious. You're single, no sex means no sex. If you're married, you get one well. One well. And so the second thing that Jesus does, which... It's probably going to be more meaningful to all of us here is that Jesus then goes on to deal with the gray area. The gray area as it relates to sex and sexuality. He so said, you've heard it said, no adultery, no fornication. He continues in verse 28, but I say, I'm going, to conti- I'm going to add to this, I'm going to clarify this for you. Anyone who even looks at a woman, and we'll just make this gender neutral, anyone who looks at a man or a woman with lust, has already committed adultery or fornication with him or her in their hearts. And you go, Jesus, why did you have to put that in there? Because many of us will never, ever step out on our wives, step out on our husbands. Saved sanctified single sisters and brothers. You have you have got this lockdown. You, 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 would, you would never actually go out and do something that violates God's law as it relates to sex and sexuality. But Jesus touches on like the gray area, right? The, the fuzzy stuff. The, the wiggle room, the hidden areas, the secret parts of our life. Why? Because he knows that many of us love to hang out in the gray area. We love to try to push the edges. Lord, how, how close can I get to this edge before I fall off the cliff? Preacher, tell me how far is too far w- when you're just fooling around? How, how far can we go with this? Um, how, much, how much sex it has to be in a movie before it's inappropriate. How, how vulgar does something have to be before it starts to offend my Christian sensibility? Do you have a book that you can recommend? Where's the edge? Because you like to hang out in the gray. Well, let me tell you something. If you hang out in the gray, you're going to end up in the red. If I was out there, I'd tweet that because that's, that's tweetable. <laughs> if you hang out in the gray you're going to end up in the red. And by red, it's a financial term, that means you're, 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 you're busted, right? You're, you're below where you're supposed to be. If you hang out in the gray, as many of us do, you'll end up in the red because it all starts in the gray, doesn't it? You're not just walking down the street and you stumble into an affair and you're like, oh, how did I get in this woman's bed? You're not just strolling down the street and you stumble into a porn addiction. That's not usually how it works. You're not just walking down the street and you stumble into an addiction to romance novels. That's usually, you know, maybe some poor soul just stumbles and just can't and all of a sudden clothes are off and just end up in somebody's bed. Maybe somebody's done that in the course of history, but that's usually not how it happens. It usually starts with us flirting around in the gray area. Just sort of dabbling in this. Oh, this isn't really singing. God didn't say I couldn't do this or just pushing the envelope, pushing the envelope, just sort of swimming in this grayness. And all of a sudden you look up one day and you're seeing your kids on the weekends because you blew up your marriage. You look up one day and you are so addicted to pornography that you're sneaking to do it at work. You're swimming around in the gray area, and you look up, and you've got an STD, or you've got an unwanted pregnancy, or you attach yourself and your soul to someone else, all because, you know, you were hanging out in the gray area. How far is too far? What movies can I watch? This this isn't really hardcore pornography. These romance novels aren't that bad. They're not that explicit. Just Constantly pushing the envelope, constantly pushing the issue, trying to find the trap door, trying to find the loophole. And many of you, if you were to disclose today uh, the situations and the circumstances you've ended up in as it relates to sex, particularly sexual brokenness, particularly sexual sin, and you trace that back to where it started, you usually find that it started somewhere in this gray area. It started somewhere there. And so Jesus attacks the gray by attacking where it all starts with the mind and with the eyes. Where it all starts is with the mind and with the eyes. Like I said before, some of you will never, you would never step out on your wife. But if God were to count the numbers of times that you've stepped out on him or her up here... Jesus says it's, it's, it's kind of all the same. Jesus said, if you do it up here, you might as well do it down there. I told you before, there's a high bar. And so Jesus isn't just being mean and angry and grumpy and trying to make this hard for us. He loves us enough. He created sex. He has a whole, you know, whole history of cases of people who have gotten this wrong and he's trying to spare you. He's trying to help you by saying don't flirt around in the grave. Don't hang out in the grave because you'll end up you'll end up in a place that you don't want to be. You'll end up in somebody's bed. You'll you'll end up with an addiction. You'll end up with something that God never intended for you to carry, and the rhythm of your life will be thrown off, even if you're doing everything right. And this has a way, doesn't it? It has a way of growing. You used to be able to keep that thing secret. You used to just do it on the weekends. You used to be functionally addicted to that thing, but it has a way of growing, doesn't it? and you're pursuing more and more risk. You're lying more. You're covering your tracks, which, by the way, is a sure sign that you're into something you shouldn't be into. If you're ever covering your tracks, if you're deleting, you know, your web history, and you're going through your phone and deleting text messages, and you're trying to co- yeah, Listen, you're covering your tracks. You know, this is... This is how it starts, and this is how it progresses. And so Jesus attacks... The mind the eye, because that's the essence of where the gray starts. And so some of you are here today, and this is where you're living. You're living in the gray. You said, I'll never touch another woman, but I can look. I would never step out with another man, but I can look. I'm going to keep myself, single people, for, for, for my husband or for my wife, but but but, but I can sure look. And then we, you know, sort of take things a little step further. Once you start looking, the next step for some of us is, you know, self-sex. Can we talk about that in church? We can talk about that in church, right? Masturbation. I mean, these things, all these tentacles that go on and on and on. That's the gray that Jesus says. Technically, that's not that gray because he, he speaks to us about this. He says, if you're doing it up here, if you're entertaining it up here, You've already, you've already done it. So let me just say also that you, you can't really control what flashes through your mind. If you've been living longer than a few years, you know that. You can't control what flashes through your mind. But you can control the tapes that you play. You can't control the rewind button, and you can't control what you store up there. I'll say that again. And some of you are like, I, I thought a bad thought. You know, I you know. Have I sinned? Generally, no. But you know that stuff that you call backup. You know those things that you consciously store for a later date when you're doing all the gray stuff that you shouldn't be doing. You, You understand what I'm saying. And so Jesus attacks that. Deals with the obvious, but he also attacks the gray area. And he goes one step further by calling us to take some action. Jesus insists that we take action. Third thing, Jesus insists that we take action. What are we supposed to do about the obvious things that tug on us as it relates to sexuality, particularly sexual impurity? What are we supposed to do about these gray areas? And so Jesus gives us some wisdom. He says, so if your eye, even your good eye, causes you to lust... Gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your hand, even your stronger hand, causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. This is what Jesus is saying. Your sexual purity and your sexual your chastity, as it were, um, is so important that you should stop at nothing to root out the things that are going to cause you to violate God's principles as it relates to sex. I'll say that again. This is so important, and this is so connected to your soul, that you should stop at nothing, Jesus says, to root out of your life the things that will cause you to stumble, to fall, and to sin against God as it relates to your sexuality. He gives us a couple of examples. If your eye is causing you to sin, gouge it out. Even if it's your good eye. Now, does Jesus actually want us to take spoons and sort of gouge out our eyes? I suppose if it really came to that, then perhaps maybe. But I think that what Jesus is saying is that we should go to great lengths to remove the things in our life that will cause us to do this. And perhaps it means that we have to remove ourselves from some spaces and from some places where we are prone to fall and to stumble, whether it be the obvious or whether it be the gray. I say that again, that we're supposed to remove some things from our life that will cause us to offend God in this area. And sometimes that's not possible without you removing yourself from some places, and from some spaces. Because after all, you know you. You know you. You know what makes you say wow. You know what makes you take a second look. You know what types of things will make you click on that thing. You, you know you and you know what you're prone to rewind and you, what you're prone to lean to. You know the snacks of life that you've developed a taste for. And Jesus says you've got to be ruthless in rooting these things out of your life. Maybe it's a convenient acquaintance. You know, those flirty relationships to just one martini away um, from you being somewhere in, in an, one of those hourly hotels. It's, you know, the convenient... You know, flirty relationship that you have Single person that you know This person isn't gonna, you know Be marriage material You know this person isn't God's best for you But you just, you have so much fun, right? They're so fun They're so, you know, they take risk And they're just, they just something just jumps in me When I'm around them And you know that's not God's best for you But yet, you you know that this tug There's this sexual energy There's this tension between the two of you and, And God says, listen for your sake and theirs get out of there or maybe you're married right and there's a person at the office and you just you just look forward to your hugs and this person goes out of their way to give you a special attention and compliments they bring you a donut if they bring themselves a donut they bring you a coffee and you just this is my work husband or this is my work wife Listen, don't be stupid. Don't be stupid. You, you, you know that something's not right there. You know that there's something cooking on the inside of you. You know that there's something inappropriate there. You know that there's something that's being awakened in you that should never be awakened. You know you have eyes for them in a way that you should only have for your spouse. Don't Listen, don't kid yourself. Don't kid yourself. Maybe it's like cable, right? Maybe that's a portal into your life that feeds and nurtures this unhealthy thing that's growing in you. You know, cable with all the premium channels, with, you know, all the premium stuff. You know you. Why would you have that in your house? Why would you have a subscription to that if you know you're weak in that area? You keep falling and failing. Oh, I'm going to do better. Listen, I know you'll do better if you don't have the channels, Call Comcast, wait for 30 minutes till they get around to you, and then say, hey, come get this thing. Or give me that basic channel, you know, give me the basic channels the four channels and, you know, channel 11 and, you know, the network. Give me that. And it's getting so that you can't you watch that at a certain time of day. But maybe it's the cable. Maybe you got rid of it. Maybe it's the Internet. Maybe your issue is the computer. The click of a button. You, you know, you're into anything that you want. Any flavor of pornography, at any time of the day, it's just on call. And maybe you you might be at a place where gouging out your eye or cutting off your hand means, say, Comcast, hey, wait 30 more minutes, hey, come get this internet too. And I'm not saying that internet is bad, but if you have an addiction to something, why make it easy for you to offend? You know what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about something I read. I'm talking about something I've lived and gotten freedom from. You start at eight o'clock and you look up; it's three o'clock. You said, know, "Where'd the time go?" You covering your tracks and you're deleting stuff. Why even have it in the house? To make matters worse, now we have these little phones that are basically walking computers. And listen, there's nothing, nothing wrong with phones. But listen, you better hear this preacher today. Maybe you're not strong enough to have a smartphone. Maybe your area of brokenness isn't the, ty- you know, isn't the type of lifestyle that should afford you the luxury of having access to the Internet wherever you go. Maybe this is what it means to gouge out your, 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 your eye and cut off your hand. Maybe there are certain apps that you enjoy, so, certain social media platforms. This is super practical I'm talking to you today. Certain apps you say, I just can't be on Instagram. There's just too much It's just too much stuff on there. Facebook causes a problem for me, and Twitter, you know, this access. You know you. And so maybe there's some apps that you need to, to get rid of. Maybe there are certain people that make it easy for you to sin against God. Isn't it something that when you go on a Bible study, and when you go on a ladies' night, and when you're hanging out with your Christian friends, by and large, you get into less trouble than when you hang out with Lucy. Some of you have just noticed, it's just different. We go to different places. When I I hang out with Christian sisters, I'm in here painting beautiful pictures, and Annie is taking me through, and this is wholesome. This is fun. But when I go out with Susie and Mary, we're in the dark corner someplace, hoping to get into the VIP, hoping some handsome guys will buy a drink. It's just a different It's a different crowd. And some of you, if you're smart, you'll say, when I'm hanging out with that person, I always get in trouble. The person doesn't love the Lord. They're always making fun of the, the boundaries that I try to set. They're always making fun and, and just making me feel bad and making me feel prudish when I don't want to hang out. But you've got to make some choices. And so what it means probably for you to pluck out your eye and to, to, to cut off your hand according to the Scriptures mean that you get some new friends. And you go to some new places. Brother, God's probably not calling you to, you know, a strip club ministry where you go and evangelize to, you know, at the, at the you know, dirty pole or something. That's not your calling. And if you, if you find that when you get a few drinks in you, you are more prone to do something that violates God's law, then you probably should put down the alcohol. We don't, we don't preach a prohibition against alcohol in the church. The scriptures don't but some of you can't handle it. And some of you look behind you and you review the tape of your life, particularly those places and those spaces where you end up in trouble. Usually there's not too far away a glass of that thing that you like. Or maybe, I don't know, you like the tall cans of old Milwaukee. It doesn't matter. But maybe for you that means what it means to pluck out your eye. And some of you might find that you need a new job. Some of you travel for work. And I've just found as a a traveling salesman I've done that, that's just for somebody struggling with pornography um, that's just, uh, just a really cushy way to just indulge that. Some of you haven't squared away in your heart, not strong enough to uh, ignore the pull of the other woman or the other man, and you've got a job that gives you lots of space and time where your time is unaccounted for, then maybe for you, you, you need a new job. You need a new, new place to work. Or maybe you find it inescapable at your place of work, that person that makes you say, ooh, and that person that uh, makes you say, ah, and you're finding that this traction. and You can't be transferred to another department. You can't. And so for your marriage's sake and for holiness' sake and for God's sake, you might say, you know, this job isn't for me because it's not worth my family. It's not worth my soul. It's not worth throwing everything away. Because if you step out on your marriage. And you hear me say this all the time. There's there's healing, there's freedom, especially if the other person's willing to forgive, even though they have grounds to get out. Yeah, there's freedom and there's healing, but some people in this room will tell you it'll never, it'll never be the same. It will never be the same. And so for those of you who are here today, you will need to examine what it looks like To attack the obvious areas of sin in your life and to attack the great areas in your life by plucking something out or chopping something off or or transplanting yourself out of a situation that's going to do you harm. That's going to do you harm. You ask my wife, I, with rare exceptions, I don't go to the beach. I, I don't go to the beach. It's my conviction. I rarely go to swimming pools. And I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. Because there are some things that I have, some, some, some things that I've developed an appetite for through some sinful behavior that those things complicate my desire and my efforts to keep things out of here. And I just don't need to see it. I don't need to be around it because it causes trouble for me. And so we have to go on vacation, and we have to budget for that. And it used to frustrate my wife. She used to be upset with me, but she gets it. And she helps me. She said, I'll take the kids to the pool. I'll go to the beach. We'll do this. That's what we do together because it's in her best interest that I be whole and free. It's in her best interest that I walk away from any and everything that's going to complicate what we have. You understand what I'm saying? And that's just one area of my life where I've had to install this thing, and I don't care what you think about it, don't invite me to any pool parties because I'm not going to (laughs) come. I like you and everything. You're a great person. I'm sure you have a wonderful pool, but I, I can't be there. With very, very few exceptions, that's just my conviction. That's my conviction. And so I don't have time to run down the entire list for you. That's for you to work out. And something tells me that even as I sit here, stand here and talk, that you are already thinking about things, rehearsing areas where, where you need to lop some things off, or pluck some things out of your life. I told you, this isn't complicated. It's just hard. It's not complicated. It's just hard. And so how do we walk this out? How do we walk this out? I've given you a lot of it, but I want to zero in on a little bit of this because this is, this is for everybody. This is for everybody. There's not a person in this room that doesn't deal with this on some level. Not a person in this room. But this means something to, uh, different for those of you who are in different categories, different life stages, and so I just want to talk briefly to our single people here. Love our single people. I used to be single, Right? And trying to live a single life and to do it right and to do it God's way it's one of the hardest things you'll ever do in your life. And so I don't make fun of single people. I don't, I don't envy them either because I remember what it was like to hold on to God's standard and to live holy in the midst of all the things that would tug and pull on us. I admire listen, we hold. Listen, at in, in this church, we hold up our singles. We consider them. We want to include them. They're not second-class here. In fact, they're probably the greatest models of what it means to live this life for Jesus because of this realm, because of how hard it is to hang on. But for the single person, the obvious for you that Jesus would identify today, don't leave out of here without getting this, the obvious for you is no sex means no sex. No sex means no sex. That means no intercourse. That means no self-sex. That means, you know, all of the ways that the enemy would sort of deposit lust and have you be exploring that. No sex means no sex. That's the obvious. That's the obvious. But for the single person, there's also tons of gray area. And the Lord wants you to discover for you, because you know you, what's gray for you. What's gray for you? Maybe some casual relationships that aren't dating, they don't there's no way forward to a meaningful relationship together. And the Lord says you gotta cut that out of your life. Maybe there's some media that you're consuming, and maybe again it may not be on its face symbol, but but, but for you. It doesn't help you live the good life as a single person. It doesn't help you overcome in the way that God wants you to overcome. You're just sort of dragging through this single life with no victory and, and, and no peace. And the Lord might be pointing at some things in, the, in this box of gray area for you that keeps installing shame and keeps having you start over. And so for you, you have to assess what the gray is for you and to take action because Jesus said you got to do something about this. you got to pluck something out. you got to chop something off if it's causing you to then stop at nothing because it's there and only there will you will live the good life. Moving on, the dating person. Person who's dating, right? Now you'll probably notice that this is not much different from being a single person because, in God's eyes, you haven't been granted access into that fence, right? Marriage that gets you into the realm of the beautiful sort of sex that God created. But for the dating person, things are, are, are very similar, right? The obvious for you is the same as a single person. No sex means no sex. But we're about to get engaged. No sex means no sex. We are engaged. No sex means no sex. We're getting married tomorrow. (laughs) Let me come down here. No sex means no sex. Means no sex. That means no shoplifting. You'll get the shoplifted from the person who you think you're going to be married because some of you have been here before some of you sisters you've been here before or you let somebody shoplift the goods from you on this thin promise of getting married somewhere off in the distant future you know guys are real slick with that and some of the ladies are real slick with that but you don't get to shoplift this Those of you who are engaged or pursuing engagement, you don't, there's no down payment. You don't give any down payments. Do I need to go further on that? You understand what I'm saying, right? No sex means no sex. You say, preacher, what what about living together? Does God have a problem with us living together? Technically, probably not. He has a problem with all the sex (laughs) that people who live together have. You weren't ready for that, were you? Is this sinful for us? Probably not. But let me let me let me ask you this: since you're trying to make a case for this, it's hard enough for for you know for people who don't live together to keep them, their the hands to themselves and to live a holy life and to have a Christ-centered sexual ethic. How much harder do you think it's going to be when you're sleeping with somebody? Well, oh, we just we just we just <laughs> we just snuggle. I bet you do. <laughs> and maybe you're strong enough to live with somebody and not have. Maybe you are. Maybe you are. But how does it look? You represent Christ, right? You represent, how does it look? Can you explain to somebody with conviction that you, you're honoring God with this arrangement? Can you teach the young people, the teenagers, as they ask, hey, what should we do? You know, what's prudent, what's wise? Can you say, hey, you know, as long as you don't have sex, you can live with a person. I mean, would, you, would you, could you keep a straight face and say that? What about your Christian witness? What about not giving any place to the enemy? What about avoiding uh, the gray areas? I know you're engaged. I know you're serious about marriage. But if it's legit, he can wait. If it's legit, they can wait. And so for the dating person, for the person that's engaged, if somebody is pressuring you to go beyond the boundaries of what God has set, they're probably not for you. If you get this direct pressure, indirect pressure all the time to, 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 to go beyond where God draws the line, listen, that person... It's not for you. I don't care how big their Bible is. I don't care what they're doing in the church. I don't care if he's a preacher. Come on. And this doesn't matter what age you are. I know our seniors are, some of you are wid- widows. Some of you are widowers. You're looking for, for who God has for you. These rules apply to you. And I've heard from some of our sisters who are seniors that the, the older brothers are worse than the, than the young men, especially the church ones. And so whoever it is, if, God, if that's the person that God has for you, they will wait, and they will respect your boundaries, and they will do no harm to you in this realm. And if they aren't committed to that, then get out of there. Get out of there. I want to talk briefly to our married, married people. I think this is really important if you're married i say earlier how many wells do you get you get one well you get one well one and you can conveniently remind the other spouse of this we get each other so let's lean in that was a joke earlier but i'm serious now because let me say this when we're on the same page and we're connecting regularly, emotionally, physically, it's just hard. I mean, I mean, it's, it's, it's fairly easier for me to not be distracted by the things that compete for my attention. It, it just really is. And so we understand now that we, we need to take care of each other. Now, we both have a responsibility to honor God, even if things aren't happening between us. But... It's just easier when we understand and we fully understand that all we have is is each other. Physically, up here, our eyes are for each other. It's just easier to do right when that's clicking. So if you're here and that's not clicking, get you some help, get a counselor, you know, buy a book. Whatever you got to do to make sure that's right, get it right, right? Because you get one, you get one, one well. And so God is challenging each and every married person in this room to identify the gray areas where you can fly below the radar and you can go undetected and you can cultivate some spaces and areas of your heart, you know, little rooms in your heart where you let somebody else abide there. I don't know, a flirty relationship at the office, a sister at Starbucks that you are always smiling and skinning and grinning at the gray areas. I don't have time to list them all. But some of you got some homework to do. Some of you have some conversations to have, particularly as it relates to the little things that can sneak in and wreck things. And so I always, I always encourage married people after a sermon like this to go home and talk. Sisters, ask your husbands. Look them in the eyes and say, are you struggling with pornography? Now I realize, I realize, and I just wanna be honest with you, that this has the potential to ruin somebody's Sunday. This has the potential to ruin somebody's Sunday. In the sense that you were planning on a picnic later, if you start getting into this, it's gonna be tense, but the freedom that will come out of it, and the things that are coming out of the darkness into the light, will be well worth it in the future. And so whoever's asking the question, if you hear something that you don't want to hear, just make sure you don't overreact. And if you're being on, you're on the other end of the question, resist the impulse to lie and to cover it up. Because I feel like the, the Lord has, has released a grace, to be honest, and to disclose some things and to gain some freedom that you want to take advantage of right now because it only compounds things, take it from me, when you're not honest. And it super compounds things uh, when you overreact to what you hear. And so in the, in the pursuit of rooting out the gray areas and those hidden little things that expand into larger things, maybe you might have some conversations today. Maybe you might together install some mechanisms, some controls in your life that make it hard for these things to, to take root in your life. Maybe there's no computer in your house that doesn't have some type of software that can track, you know, web pages. Maybe there's mutually agreed upon, you know, boundaries and controls. Maybe we root out the gray area. One thing for us is that we, 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 we've made a decision that we don't ride in the car alone with the opposite sex. We just don't do it. Her co-workers thinks that's absolutely stupid. I said, "Fine, you're not married to them. And If you know, you, you blow up your, our marriage. It doesn't, it doesn't impact us. Some people that I've worked with, they just think that's just stupid. It's so inconvenient. Yeah, but I don't want to see my kids all, just on the weekends. I don't want to blow up my life. I got a lot to lose. In case you haven't noticed. And so, sisters, I love you, but there's got to be an axe murderer after you for me for me to give you a ride." Like, show me. Where is it. Show me the ax. I want to see it. And I'll, then I'll give you a right. And if I do let you in, get in the back so there's no rumors starting around town. Right? That seems almost silly to some people, but listen, listen. Listen, what, I'm, one, I'm one poor decision away from throwing everything away. Just one bad decision from throwing everything away, and so are you. And so this is one of the things we've installed in our life. Try not to be in the building along with somebody of the opposite sex, which gets harder and harder as we just add staff and, you know, add leaders and stuff like that. But we have to move, maneuver. And sometimes I might say, hey, 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 Joe, can you wait a second because I'm talking to a lady? Just hang on. And so many of you have been asked to just hang around um, just so there's not even the, 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 the appearance of impropriety. I'm taking my time with this this morning because somebody needs to hear this. And some of you have gone too long without any controls, without any boundaries. Huge chunks of your life shrouded in secrecy and, and you're here today and mess. some of you because of it. And the Lord, with his help, it stops today. The obvious is you get one well, the great, it out, take action. And so I want to end, worship team, you can come up with this question. It's a question for everybody as we just tie a bow on this. And the question is, Who has dirt on you? Who has dirt on you? And so this question gets at this whole thing that we call accountability. I heard a preacher say once, if you want to keep sinning, just keep telling God how sorry you are. But if you want to get free, tell somebody else. If you want to keep sinning, just keep telling God how sorry you are. But if you want to get free, Tell somebody. I'm not talking about telling your drinking buddies who are as you know deep in a hole as you are. Tell somebody you respect. Tell somebody who you wouldn't want to make eye contact with as you disclose the thing that you've gotten yourself into that week. Who knows your deepest secrets? Who knows where you're prone to fail and fall? Who knows that should you go missing, where to come find you because they know your stuff. So, you, I meet with some brothers, three brothers, every other week. Um, and we don't get together to study the scriptures. We don't get together to sing. The purpose of us getting together is for us to share candidly where we fell down that week, where we sinned against God, where we sinned against our wives, uh, where we sinned in our minds. And that is, you know, if there's some issues that week, that's an unpleasant me because I respect these guys and they respect me. And we've got some dirt on each other. If they were to turn on me, I got some dirt on them, right? And they got some dirt on me. And that's how it should be. And do you know that knowing that I'm going to have to talk to those guys in a week has kept me from some things because I don't want to tell them and I don't want to lie? So the last leg of this, for those of you looking to get free and stay free and have a Christ-centered sexual ethic and and stay sexually pure, whether you're single or you're married, whether you're young or you're old, is to invite somebody else into the process with you so that you can be free and stay free. How is this particular moving part of your life? What is Jesus putting his finger on today? As we worship the Lord, he's going to continue to teal the soil of your heart, and we're going to conclude this with an opportunity to get some prayer seek some healing, and to get free. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much. Um, Just, Lord, you cover everything, especially the big areas of our life, the important areas of our life. There's so much stuff, Lord, that we need to know, and you are so generous. You're so liberal with your truth. And so, Jesus, for those of us who, some of us, we just, we're failing on this. This is is just a raggedy area of our life, just a raggedy aspect of our life where we need your help. Lord, some of us have secrets that we've never shared with anybody. Some of us have budding things in our life that are, we're on a path of destruction. Others of us just needed to hear truth today, Lord. Just speak what is true to us today. Some of you just need to be arrested this morning with the truth of what God expects as it relates to your life with him and your sex and sexuality. Some of you just, you just needed that today. And so, Lord, I just pray that let it continue today as we worship you and as we sing songs of your goodness. I pray that conviction would come, that clarity would come, that answers would come, that freedom would come. Lord, we know that you say there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. So, Lord, just root out condemnation right now for bring us to a place of freedom in you, in you. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said,